I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Oh, uh, hello, and welcome to the Leaves of Glen Mansion. It's a fun little bit where I pretend to live in a mansion and not just recording in my basement. This is where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. And this week, I'm going to continue to read Chapter 5 of Peter Pan by J.M. Barry. Well, we should learn about the author again, in case it's the first time you've ever listened to this show. Uh, I know a person, a person I know personally, who has discovered my show because, like an idiot, I liked one of his tweets on Twitter with my podcast account. So now he knows my, about my show. God damn it. And uh, and so now I have to act like uh, I'm reading for new people. I hate this. So let's learn about J.M. Barry, the author of this book, born in May of uh, 1860, and he died the 19th of June, 1937. Oh, he's a Scottish novelist and playwright. Best remembered for the creator of Peter Pan, he was born and educated in Scotland. No one cares. Before moving to London, no one cares. And he wrote a special, uh, a number of successful novels and plays where uh, he met the Llewellyn Davies boys. I, for my fun fact, have found out something horrible about this. He's not the nice guy we thought he was. Who inspired him to write about a baby boy who has magical adventures in the Kensington Gardens. Which led him to writing Peter Pan, or the boy who just wouldn't grow up, 1904. Although he continued to write successfully, Peter Pan overshadowed his other work and is credited with popularizing the name Wendy. Don't know why Wendy was a crap name to begin with, but apparently got real, real popular after this. Barry unofficially adopted the Davies boys following the deaths of their parents. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Until you learn the fun facts later. Uh, Barry was made a baronet by George V and a member of the Order of Merit. Uh, before his death, he gave the rights to Peter Pan's works to the Great Ormond Street Hospital for Children in London, which I'm sure when we do the fun facts, we're going to find out there's something horrible about that, too. Never like anyone. If you ever like anyone, you find out they're a crap person. Doesn't matter who it is. Uh, I'm sure even my personal hero, uh, uh, Tom Hanks, probably has a horrible aspect to him. Probably uh, diddled a lot of people. All right, well, we're moving on. Just how bad, this comes from uh, SheKnows.com. Just how bad was Peter Pan author and playwright J.M. Barry? Well, he's been portrayed by Donnie Depp in 2004's Finding Neverland as a kind, caring soul who befriended a family in need, which is what I also thought. But Barry's real-life story seems to be much, much darker. Great. According to some accounts, Barry's uh, left a trail of death and destruction in his wake, and he might actually have preyed on young children. Once you learn the following dark secrets about the real Peter Pan author, you might understand why people would believe this. Number one... Barry stole his own Lost Boys, in quotes. According to Pierce Dudgeon, I don't know who that is, the author of Captivated, J.M. Barry and the Du Marius and the Dark Side of Neverland, Barry manipulated his way into the lives of Sylvia and Arthur Llewellyn Davies, the parents of three boys, George, Jack, and baby Peter. 
Barry apparently lavished gifts on the family and spent hours with the boys, having adventures in the park and making up stories. Yeah, if I saw a person doing that in modern times, I'd think, well, that's a little creepy, and I'd probably try to keep them away from him. Uh, when Arthur and Sylvia uh, both died of cancer within three years of each other, Barry assumed guardianship of the boys, which sounds sweet. In case any blood relatives uh, protested, he had Sylvia's will forged, giving him custody. Strangely, the family never objected to a non-relative raising their children. Apparently, they found out that he forged it. Great. Years later, Peter uh, said about Barry taking custody of him and his brothers, quote, The whole business, as I look back on it, was almost unbelievably queer and pathetic and ludicrous and even macabre in a kind of way. I'd like to learn more about that. I wish there was a link to wherever the hell he said that, because I want to know uh, what uh, context he met with that. Macabre uh, and ludicrous pathetic. Number two... Barry's unusually close relationship with Michael and George. Barry enjoyed taking mm, photographs of the boys. With them sometimes in homemade costumes. Jesus. And often wearing no clothes at all. Okay. Well, that's the grandfather clock telling me I should shut up. We'll leave the rest of these for future episodes so we can learn to hate this man that wrote a weird freaking story. Well, uh, it's with a heavy heart that uh, I'm going to continue reading this story from a noted pervert, which even before I I learned about what a jerk he was, that uh, apparently it's also got uh, things about Native Americans, which is going to be incredibly unflattering, and I don't know how I'm going to read that for the show. I hate this book. It's not even that great. I mean, I guess I like Tinkerbell being an asshole, but the author's a horrible human being, so I guess it's just reflective. (sighs) Chapter 5, The Island Come True. Feeling that Peter was on his way back, the Neverland had again woken to life. No, we ought to use the pluperfect uh, and say wakened. Pluperfect? All right, fine. I'm going to look up what the hell pluperfect is supposed to mean, you pretentious pile of shit. Pluperfect. Pluperfect. It's an adjective. Another term for past perfect. Uh, more than perfect. They had one perfect daughter, and they're expecting an ideal little brother for her. That still didn't make anything any better. Uh, and, uh, and say, wakened. But woke is better and was always used by Peter. In his absence, things are usually quiet on the island. The fairies take an hour longer in the morning. The beasts attend to their young. The, the, oh, the redskins feed heavily for six days and nights. All right. And when pirates and lost boys meet, uh, they merely bite their thumbs at each other. But with the coming of Peter, who hates lethargy, oh, they are underway again. And if you put your ear to the ground now, you would hear the whole island seething with life. On this evening, the chief forces of the island uh, were disposed as follows. The Lost Boys were out looking for Peter. The Pirates were out looking for the Lost Boys. <laughs> and and uh, the Redskins were out looking for the Pirates. And the Beasts were out looking for uh, the Redskins. Great. Can I replace that with something else? Native Americans? I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a fantasy island. 
I hate this book. They were going round and round the island, but they did not meet because all were going at the same rate. All wanted blood except for the boys who liked it as a rule, but tonight were out to greet their captain. The boys on the island were uh, varied, of course, in numbers, according as they were killed and so on. And when they seemed to be growing up, which is against the rules, Peter thins them out. Oh, we read about this. But at the time, there were six of them, counting the twins as two. Let us pretend to lie here among the sugar cane and watch them as they steal by in single file, each uh, with his hand on his dagger. Oh, they are forbidden by Peter to look at uh, the least like him, and they wear the the skins of bears slain by themselves, hmm? Uh, and they are uh, so round and furry that when they fall, (laughs) they roll, (laughs) and they therefore become very sure-footed. Oh, the first to pass is Tootles, not the least brave, but the most unfortunate of all that gallant band. He had been in fewer adventures than any of them, because the big things constantly happened just when he had stepped around the corner. All would be quiet, and he would take the opportunity to go off to gather a few sticks of firewood, and then uh, and then he'd return. Others would be sweeping up the blood. This is horrible. This ill luck had given a gentle melancholy to his countenance, but instead of souring his nature, uh, it had sweetened it, and so he was uh, quite the humblest of the boys. Oh, oh poor kind Tootles. There is a danger in the air for you tonight. Take care, yeah, lest an adventure is now offered, which you, if accepted, will plunge you into the deepest woe. Toodles, the fairy Tink, who is bent on mischief this night, is looking for a tool, and she thinks you are the most easily tricked of the boys. Where, Tinker Bell? Would that uh, he care uh, could hear us. But we are not really on the island, and as he passes by, biting his knuckles. Next comes Nibs, the gay and debonair, debonair, I can't say that word out loud. I just had a conversation with uh, someone about this on Twitter. Followed by Slightly, who cuts whistles out of trees and dances ecstatically of his own twos. Oh, Slightly is the most conceited of the boys. Oh, he thinks he remembers the days before he was lost with the manners and customs, and he was given his nose an offensive tilt. Curly is fourth. He is a pickle. Oh, he's so often he has to deliver up his person when Peter said sternly, Stand forth, uh, the one who did this thing. And now, at the command, he stands forth automatically, whether he has done it or not. Last come the twins, who cannot be described because uh, we should be sure to be describing the wrong one. Peter never quite knew what the twins were, and his band were not allowed to know anything he did not know. So these two were always vague about themselves, and he did their uh, and, he, and, and they did their best to give satisfaction by keeping close together in an apologetic sort of way. Well, the boys uh, vanish in the gloom. And after a pause, but not a long pause, uh, for things go briskly on the island, come the pirates on their track. Oh, oh, we hear them before they are seen. It's always the same dreadful song. A vast belay, yo-ho, heave, I'm not going to sing, heave to. A pirating we go, and if we're parted by a shot, oh, we're, we're sure to be below. <laughs> A more villainous-looking lot never hung in a row on execution dock. Here, a little advance, ever and again, with his head to the ground listing, his great arms bare, pieces of eight in his ears as ornaments, is the handsome Italian Ciso, who cut his name in letters of blood on the back of the governor of the prison of Gao. That gigantic black 
behind him has had many names since he dropped the one with which dusky mothers still terrify their children on the banks of Guado Guajo Mo. Here is Bill Jukes, every inch of him tattooed, uh, the same Bill Jukes who got six dozen uh, on the walrus from Flint before he could drop back out of the mortarys. I have no idea what the fuck's going on right now in this story. And Cookson, uh, said to be uh, Black Murphy's brother, but this has uh, never been proved. And Gentleman Starkey, once an usher in a public school and still dainty in his ways of killing. And Skylights, Morgan Skylight, whatever, and the Irish bosun Smee, an oddly genial man who stabbed, so to speak, without offense, uh, and was the only nonconformist in Hook's crew, and Noodler, whose hands were fixed on backwards, and ropped, R-O-B-T, period. Whatever, Mullins and Alf Mason and many other ruffian long known and feared on the Spanish main. In the midst of them, the blackest, and largest in the dark setting, reclined James Hook, or, as he wrote himself, Jas Hook, of whom it is said he was the only man that the sea cook feared. Oh, oh, he lay at his ease in a rough chariot drawn and propelled by his man, eh, using manpower, and instead of a right hand, he had an iron hook with which ever and anon he encouraged them to increase their pace. As dogs, this terrible man treated and addressed them, and as dogs, they obeyed him. In person, he was cadaverous and blackavized. Oh, God, do I dare look this one up? Let's see what the Kindle has to say about what a blackavized is. There's no, there's nothing. There's nothing in Wikipedia. There's nothing in translation. Great. It's just probably a very racist term made up by a man that likes to, uh, Spend his time around kids that aren't his. And his hair was dressed in long curls, which as a little distance looked like a black candle's, and gave a singularly threatening expression to his handsome countenance. His eyes, oh, his eyes were of a blue, the forget-me-not, and of a profound melancholy, save for when he was plunging his hook into you. At a time, uh, the two red spots appeared in them and lit them up horribly. In a manner, uh, something of the grand seigneur still clung to him, and so that he even ripped you up uh, uh, with an air. And I have been told that he is a raconteur of repute. How come I can say that word, but not the other one? And he was never more sinister than when he was most polite, which is probably the truest test of breeding, and the elegance of his diction, even when he was swearing, no less than the distinction of his demeanor, uh, showed him one of a different cast from his crew, a man of indomitable courage. It was said that the only thing he shied at was the sight of his own blood, which was thick and of an unusual color. What, like he's just like an alien? In the dress, he was somewhat aped, aped the attire associated with the name of Charles II, having heard it in some uh, earlier period of his career that he bore a strange resemblance to the ill-fated Stuarts, and in his mouth... He had a holder of his own contrivance, which enabled him to smoke two cigars at once. But undoubtedly, the grimmest part about him was his iron claw. Let us now kill a pirate to show Hook's method. Skylights will do. As they pass, Skylights lurches clumsily. What are we playing, like the Sims? We're just going to kill one of the characters he just described right now? Lurches clumsily against him, ruffling his lace collar and 
Hook shoots forth. Oh, there's a tearing sound from one screech, and then the body is kicked aside, and the pirates pass on. Oh, he's not even taking the cigars from his mouth. Such is the terrible man against whom Peter Pan is pitted. Which will win? Question mark. On the trail of the pirates, stealing noiselessly down the warpath, which is not visible to inexperienced eyes. God, please don't do it. Come the Redskins. God damn it. Every one of them with his eyes peeled. Oh, they carry tomahawks and knives, and their uh, naked bodies gleam with paint and oil. Strung around them are uh, scalps of boys as well as the pirates, for there are the Piccaninny, Piccaninny tribe. Uh, and not to be confused with the softer-hearted Delawares or the Hurons, in the van on all fours is the great big little panther, a brave of so many scalps that in his present position they somewhat impede the progress. Bringing up the rear, the place of the greatest danger, do we really have to go through all this, comes Tiger Lily, proudly erect, a princess in her own right. She is the most beautiful of... Dusky Dianas, ugh, and the bell of the Piccaninnies. Coquettish, cold, and animorous by ruins. There is not a brave who would not have the wayward thing for uh, to wife. But she staves off the altar with a hatchet. Observe how they pass over fallen twigs without making the slightest noise. The only sound to be heard is their somewhat heavy breathing. The fact that they are all a little fat uh, just now after the heavy gorging, but in time they will work this off. Great. Great. Whatever. For the moment, however, it constitutes their chief danger. The redskins uh, disappear as they have uh, come like shadows, and soon their place is taken by the beasts, a great and motley procession. Oh! Lions, eh? The tigers, and the lesser beast bears, and the innumerable smaller savage things that flee from them. For every kind of beast, and more particularly all the man eaters, live cheek by jowl on the favored island. Oh, their, oh, their tongues are hanging out. Oh, they're, oh, they're hungry tonight. And that's two dash night. When they have passed, comes the last figure of all, a gigantic crocodile. Ah, we shall see for uh, whom she is looking presently. The crocodile passes. Ah, but soon the boys appear again, for the procession must continue indefinitely until one of the parties stops or changes its pace, and then quickly they'll all be on top of each other. Uh, I'll, I'll keep it a sharp lookout in front, but none suspects that the danger may be creeping up from behind. This shows how real the island was. First to fall out of the moving circle was the boys. Oh, they flung themselves down on the, on the sward. All right, we're looking up sward. It's uh, expanse of short grass. Close to the underground home. Oh, I do wish Peter would come back. Every one of them said nervously, though in height it's still more of breath than they were all larger than their captain. I am the only one who is not afraid of the pirates, slightly said, in a tone that prevented his being a, a general favorite, but perhaps some distant sound disturbed him. For he added hastily, but I wish he would come back and tell us whether he has heard anything more about Cinderella. With that, I feel like we should take a break, and I could talk about somebody who's also a Cinderella of sorts. That'd be Stephen Dorglas. Uh, Cinderella, didn't she fall asleep for a long time? That's what I'm going with. Uh, Stephen uh, Dorglas is a man of glass, a man that appreciates the art of glass and creating beautiful things from it, like sliding glass doors... 
But one day, he suddenly realized, uh, I keep trying to cut these angles, and I keep cutting them wrong. What's going on? He cuts it. The glass is too short for the door. It just kind of slides around inside there and looks really stupid. And he goes, what the hell's going on with me? And so then he tries to get into his glass truck. He actually built his own glass truck out of glass, and he gets into it, and he's like, ah, I can't figure out how to do the stick shift. My glass stick shift, I keep putting it into first, but I keep going in reverse. What's going on with me? I think things, something's wrong with my brain. I think I've got a crap brain. Stephen Glor- uh, Douglas can't run his own company if he's got a crap brain. So what he does is he goes out to Amazon.com and picks up a, a bottle of Ovega 3, which is the better choice, and there's nothing fishy about it. Oh, you want the heart, eye, and brain health benefits that are associated with DHA and EPA omega-3 fatty acids with no fishy business? Well, that's why Ovega-3 is the better choice. Ovega-3 is a vegetarian-slash-vegan sustainable omega-3 supplement with DHA, eh? An EPA extracted from, extracted, extracted from algae. It's a trusted natural source. So it has the same benefits as other DHA and EPA sources like fish, uh, without the, uh, nah, yeah, without fishy aftertaste. Uh, so what sets Omega-3 apart from uh, uh, other crap? Well, Omega-3 is 100% fish-free source of EPA and DHA. Oh, it's packed with five times more EPA and DHA uh, versus the standard pure krill oil derived from trusted natural plant source. Don't say what plant. We don't need to know. A vegetarian vegan alternative to fish oil. Great. Sustainable, so it won't deplete the ocean's supply of fish. It's free of GMOs, gluten, soy, lactose, and sugar. It's also free of allergens associated with uh, crap product, fish oil. Plus, no fishy aftertaste. You want to hear some, uh, do you want to hear some reviews of this product that really turned Stephen Dorglas onto it and thought, this is going to fix my crap brain? Uh, Patricia uh, J. McLaughlin says, frustrating, one star. Last two orders have smelled like fish. And they are, have oily residue on the surface. Previous orders were fine. Uh, Rhoda says one star. After using several bottles of this product, uh, most of my recent delivery had pills that were very oily and slimy. And within a few days of opening the bottle, they smelled terrible. Uh, you got another person that gives you one star. says, it's been more than 45 days since I bought them and they smell. Don't buy it. Uh, the comment underneath that, just the simple word, stinks. Ivan gives one star, saying, This is the a warning on the manufacturer's behalf. Warning, this product will expose you to chemicals including lead, which is known to the state of California to cause cancer, uh, birth defects, and other reproductive harm. So, lead won't affect people in other states and countries? Question mark. Oh, I bought two of these, and I regret I did without realizing that I was getting for my money. On all caps, I should have read better when I bought them. Well, he's got a crap brain. That's the reason why he bought this product. It's always uh, the uh, there. Contacted the manufacturer four days ago. Still no response. I will update this as soon as I get more info. Well, it was good enough for Stephen Douglas because he was convinced, probably by a, a placebo effect, that his brain went back to normal. So he went back to work at Dorglass Incorporated. That's D-O-R-G-L-A-S-S dot com. They're dedicated to fabricating, professionally installing the highest quality glass products from the nation's top manufacturers. Their inventory, combined with their years of experience, makes them the premier source for installation and repair. They approach every project with the same goals. Professionalism, integrity... And if you pull him aside and try to explain to him that you also think you suffer from crap brain, he'll slip you a couple uh, pills because he's discreet. 
What do they do? Burp. Commercial storefronts, automatic entrances, windows, patio doors, mirrors, shower doors, installation repair, and they will design and build any goddamn thing you want. Clients, Pottery Barn, Williams-Sonoma, Sherman-Williams, Portillo's, which is a sandwich place that nobody cares about, the Salt Cave, which is a place in Minneapolis where they got a room made out of Himalayan salt that's backlit, so it looks all glowing like you're sitting inside someone's kidney, and uh, you're supposed to be able to do white people shit in there, like yoga and, uh, I don't know, paddle boarding, who knows what you're supposed to do in there, meditation, Uh, but the thing is, they say, even on their website, don't touch the walls, whatever you do, don't touch the goddamn walls, because if you do, they're going to call the Minneapolis police, they're going to haul you out of there and probably beat the shit out of you, Uh, and Applebee's, well, with that, I'm feeling a little horny, why don't we go up to the master bedroom uh, with my heart-shaped bed, and I can read to you the latest upcoming romance novels from Penguin Random House Books. Hold on. I'm coming. Hold on, I'm almost there. I had to take a pit. Oh. What are you doing? Well, you look normal. You're wearing the same clothes you came in with. You're not wearing some weird costume. But you're just sitting there taking selfies of yourself. Why the hell are you doing that? You're not, uh, that good look. What do you got? You got a book on the bed? A book called Addicted to You by Krista, Richie, and Becca Richie. Oh, good. I'm glad that Krista and Becca combined forces to create the perfect book. Uh, Addicted to You... Uh, the TikTok sensation, addicted to you. Is it a TikTok sensation? I don't know if it's worth looking up. I think they're just saying that because they probably promoted on TikTok and like got one like. Now in in print edition with special bonus material. Oh sweet, burp. She's addicted to sex and he's addicted to booze. The only way out is rock bottom. Fall in love with Lily and Lola. <laughs> really? Fall in love with them? As in this edgy new adult romance set in a world of lust, eh, fame, swoon-worthy men, and friendships that run deeper than blood in this special edition with bonus materials. In print only. Really, they're, shoot, they're poo-pooing the, uh, the entire ebook market. No one would suspect shy Lily Calloway's biggest secret. While everyone is dancing at college bars, oh, Lily stays in the bathroom. Eh, period. To get laid. Period. Her compulsion leads to her to one-night stands, steamy hookups, and an event she shamefully, regret, shamefully regrets. Oh, the only person who knows her secret happens to have one of his own. Lauren Hale's best friend is his bottle of bourbon. Lily comes at a close second. For three years, they pretended to be in a real relationship, hiding their addictions from their families, and they've mastered the art of concealing flasks and and random guys that filter in and out of their apartment. But as they sink beneath the weight of their addictions, they cling harder to their destructive relationship and wonder if a life together for real is better than a lie. Strangers and family begin to infiltrate their guarded lives. And with new challenges, they realize they may not be just addicted to alcohol and sex. Eh, eh, Their real vice mm, might be each other. Well, that sounds like a horseshit book called Dick to You by Krista Ritchie and Becca Ritchie. It, uh, I imagine it's highly offensive. You can buy it for 17 bucks as a paperback on August 16th from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Bookshop.org, Hudson Bookshows, IndieBound, uh, Powell's Target, and Walmart. 
Well, that sounded really depressing and uh, highly unsympathetic. So with that, I'm not horny at all. And you can stop taking pictures of yourself. I can see you're trying to show a little cleavage. That's kind of sexy. But it does nothing for me right now. So why don't we go back down to the library where we continue reading this horseshit book. Ah, well, there you are, getting settled in. This is probably the first time you didn't come back down with some kind of prop or part of your costume. You're just sitting there on your phone. Are you even listening to me? They talked of Cinderella, and Toodles was confident that his mother must have been very like her. It was only in Peter's absence that they could speak of mothers, the subject being forbidden by him as silly. All I remember uh, uh, about my mother, Nibs told them, is that she often said to my father, Oh, oh, how I wish I had a checkbook of my own. God damn, that's horrible. I don't uh, know what a checkbook is, but I should just love to give my mother one. And while they talked, they heard a distant sound. You or I, not being uh, wild things of the woods, would have heard nothing. But as they heard it, it was the grim song. Yo ho ho, uh, the pirate life, the flag o' skull and bones, a merry hour, a hempen rope, and hey for Davy Jones. At once, the lost boys. But uh, where are they? They are no longer there. Rabbits could not have disappeared more quickly. Oh, and I will tell you where they are. Oh, with the exp- uh, the exception of Nibs. <laughs> who has darted away to raconteur, they are already in their home under the ground, a very delightful residence in which we shall see a good deal presently. But how have they reached it? Uh, For there is no entrance to be seen, not so much as a large stone which has rolled away. Oh, you would disclose about the cave. Look closely, however, and you may note that there are here seven large trees, uh, each with a hole in the hollow of its trunk, as 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 large as a boy. There are seven entrances to the home under the ground for which Hook has been searching in vain these many moons. Will he find it tonight? Eh, I hate that the author keeps talking directly to us, the reader. Or is this... I don't know. I know it's supposed to be a play. I, everything about this just grosses me out. As the pirates advanced, the quick eye of Starkey sighted Nibs disappearing through the woods. And at once his pistol flashed out. Oh, but an iron claw gripped his shoulder. Captain, let go, he cried, writhing. Now, for the first time, we hear the voice of Hook. It was a black voice. Put back the pistol first, he said threateningly. Now, he's the only one of the boys you hate. I could have shot him dead. A, and the sound would have brought Tiger Lily's red skins ugh, upon us. Do you want to lose your scalp? Ugh. Shall I after him, Captain, asked pathetic Smee, and tickle him eh, with Johnny Corkscrew? <laughs> Smee had a pleasant name for everything, and his cutlass was Johnny Corkscrew. Oh, okay, I thought it was him and his friend Johnny. We're just going to go tickle him till he pees. Because he wiggled it on the wound. Oh, one could mention many lovable traits in Smee. For instance, after killing, uh, it was his spectacles he wiped instead of his weapon. Johnny's a silent fellow, he reminded Hook. Now Smee, Hook said darkly. He's only one, and I want to mischief all seven. Scatter and look for him. Now the pirates disappeared among the trees, and in a moment the captain and Smee were alone. Hook heaved a heavy sigh, and and I know not why it was. Perhaps it was because of the soft beauty of the evening. Uh, But there came over him a a desire to confide in his faithful bosun the story of his life. 
He spoke long and earnestly, but what it was all about to me, who was rather stupid, did not know in the least. Anon he caught the word Peter. Most of all, Hook was saying passionately, I want their captain, Peter Pan. "'Twas he cut off my arm, he brandished the hook threateningly. "'I've waited long to shake his hand with this. "'Oh, I'll tear him.' "'And yet,' said Smee, "'I have often heard you say that Hook was worth a, a score of hands "'for combing the hair and, and other, uh, other uh, homely uses.' "'Eh?' the captain answered. "'I think it's supposed to be I. I'm not sure. "'If I uh, were a mother, I would pray to have children born with this instead of that.' "'And he took a, he cast a look of pride upon the iron hand and, and one of scorn upon the other. "'Then again he frowned. "'Peter flung my arm,' he said, wincing, to a crocodile that happened to be passing by. "'I have often,' said Smee, "'noticed your strange dread of crocodiles. "'Not of crocodiles,' Hook corrected him. "'But of that one crocodile,' he lowered his voice. "'It liked my arm so much, Smee, that it has followed me ever since, "'from sea to sea and from land to land, licking its lips for the rest of me.' "'In a way,' said Smee, it's sort of a compliment. Well, I want no such compliments, Hook barked petulantly. I want Peter Pan, who first gave this brute its taste for me. He sat down in a large mushroom, and now there was a, a quiver in his voice. Smee, he said huskily. That crocodile would have me before this, but by a lucky chance it swallowed a, a clock, which goes tick, tick inside it. And so uh, before it can reach me, I can hear the tick and a bolt. Uh, he laughed, but in a hollow way. Some day, said Smee, the clock will run down, and then he'll get you. Smee sounds like an asshole. Hook wetted his dry lips. I, he said, that's the fear that haunts me. Since sitting down, he had curiously, uh, he felt curiously warm. Smee, uh, he said, this seat is hot, and he jumped up. Odds, bobs, hammer and tongs, I'm burning. They examined the mushroom, which was the size of a, a solidly unknown on the mainland, and they tried to pull it up, and it came away at once with their hands, for it had no root. Great. Stranger still, smoke began at once to ascend. Great. No one cares. The pirates looked at each other. A chimney? Oh, they both exclaimed. They had indeed discovered the chimney of the home under the ground. It was a custom of the boys to stop it with a mushroom when the enemies were in the neighborhood. Not only smoke came out of it, there also came, there came children's voices. For so safe did the boys feel in their hiding place that they were gaily chattering. Oh, the pirates listened grimly and then replaced the mushroom. Oh, they looked around them and noted the holes in the seven trees. Did you, did you hear them say Peter Pan from home? Smee whispered, fidgety with Johnny's corkscrew. Hook nodded. He stood for a long time, lost in thought, and at last a curdling smile lit up his swarthy face. Smee had been waiting for it. Unrip your plan, Captain, he cried eagerly. To return to the ship. Hook replied slowly through his teeth, and Cook, a large, rich cake of a jolly thickness uh, with green sugar on it, and there could be one, one room below, and there is but one chimney. The silly moles had not the sense to see that they did not need a door apiece. That shows that they have no mother. <laughs> we will leave the cake on the shore of the mermaid's lagoon. These boys are always swimming out there, playing with the mermaids, and they will find the cake, and they will gobble it up, because having no mother, uh, they don't know how dangerous it is to eat <laughs> to eat rich damp cake. <laughs> he burst into laughter. Not a hollow laughter now, but, uh, but an honest laughter. Aha, they will die. Smee had listened with growing admiration. It is the wickedest 
prettiest policy I've ever heard of, he cried, and in the exultation, all they danced and sang, a vast belay when I appear, by fear they're overtook, knots left upon your bones when you have shaken claws with hook. They began the verse, but they uh, never finished it, for another sound broke and stilled them. There was, uh, at first, such a tiny sound that a leaf might have fallen on it and smothered it, but it came near as it was more distinct. Tick, 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 tick. Oh, Hook stood shuddering, one foot in the air. Ah, the crocodile, he gasped, and bounded away, followed by his bosom. It was indeed the crocodile it had passed the redskins, ugh, who were now on the trail of other pirates. It oozed on after Hook. Once more the boys emerged into the open, but the dangers of the night were not yet over, for presently Nibs rushed breathless into their midst, pursued by a pack of wolves. Ah, oh, the tongues of the pursuers were hanging out, <laughs> and the baying of them was horrible. Save me, save me, cried Nibs, falling to the ground. <laughs> but what can we do? What can we do? It was a high compliment to Peter that at that dire moment their thoughts turned to him. What would Peter do? Now oh, they say it as if they were saying it about Christ. They cried simultaneously. Almost in the same breath they cried, Peter would look at them through his legs, and then let us do what Peter would do. It was quite the most successful way of defying the wolves, as uh, one boy they bent and looked through their legs. The next moment is the long one, but victory came quickly, for as the boys advanced upon them in a terrible attitude, the wolves dropped their tails and fled. Now Nibs rose from the ground, and the others thought that, they, that his staring eyes still saw the wolves, but it was not wolves he saw. I have seen a wonderfeller thing. Wonderfeller thing. Whatever. He cried as they gathered round him eagerly. A great white bird. It is, it is flying this way. Yeah, what kind of bird do you think? Uh, I don't know, Nib said, awestruck. Uh, but it sounds uh, so weary. And it flies and it moans. Poor Wendy. Poor Wendy? I remember, said slightly, instantly. There are birds called uh, mm, Wendy's. See, it comes, cried Curly, pointing to, to, to Wendy in the heavens. Wendy was now almost overhead, but they could hear her plaintive cry. But more distinct came the shrill voice of Tinker Bell. The jealous fairy had now cast off all disguise of friendship and was darting at her victim from every direction, pinching savagely each time she touched. Hello, Tink, cried the wandering boys. Uh, Tink's reply rang out, and Peter, Peter wants you to shoot Wendy. But it was not in their nature to question what Peter ordered. Uh, let us do what Peter wishes, cried the simple boys. Quick, bows and arrows. All but Toodles popped down their trees and had a bow and arrow with them. And Tink noted it and rubbed her little hands. Quick, Toodles, quick, she screamed. Peter will be so pleased. Toodles excitedly fitted an arrow to his bow. Out of way, Tink, he shouted. And then he fired. And Wendy fluttered to the ground with an arrow in her breast. Well, that was... Horrible. Well, with that, why don't we uh, go to the smoking room where my girlfriend has put up a bunch of birds that's going to annoy us the entire time, and uh, we can talk about what the hell we just read in this story. Well, uh, here we are, all settled in our smoking room, and I've got my smoking jacket on, and tonight I've decided to choose a pipe with a, with a tobacco that tastes kind of like, uh, I don't know, apricot. <laughs> God damn it. Well, uh, let's recap the story. Uh, we learned that for some dumb reason, the Lost Boys run around, and Lost Boys die. They said that they die. And when they die, uh, they just kind of leave them out there. Uh, and then also when they get too old, uh, Peter Pan dispatches them. 
So he probably kills him, which is terrifying. Um, after that, uh, the Lost Boys are running around. They don't really know what to do. Apparently, there's like a circle of activity where the Lost Boys are being chased by the pirates. The pirates are being slowly followed by uh, Native Americans, even though they're not native to America because they're on this island. I just hate it. And then... Uh, I guess they're being followed by wild animals. It's just stupid. And so they're following each other around uh, for infinity, always on the move. But the Lost Boys have a hiding place, which is underground, and they they have uh, a series of trees with giant holes at the base that they jump into, which takes them down, I imagine, through slide technology, to take them down underground to where their hideout is, and, uh, and then they just sit there. Uh, I love that the pirates finally discover these things and say, oh, they must not have mothers. So they decide to make a, a wet cake and put it on the beach because they don't have mothers to tell them don't eat a wet cake by the beach. Uh, it's weird. And Wendy gets shot. So Wendy gets shot and she falls to the ground, I imagine. Uh, so what's good about this story? Uh, nothing. I guess I like that there's a randomly a, an alligator or a crocodile that has a clock in its stomach that keeps ticking all the time. That's kind of interesting, I suppose. I don't know. Uh, what sucks? The author of this book and also this story so far. Uh, uh, but I do like that they say, uh, what would Peter Pan do? <laughs> As if it's what would Jesus do? That's great. She get bracelets with that on it. Uh, what do we learn? Um... Uh, nothing. We didn't learn a thing. We didn't learn anything here at all. I guess that uh, dangerous people... Uh, you know, probably the most dangerous person is the cute little guy with the glasses that says cute things like I want to tickle him. Because uh, uh, those kind of people, they're usually kind of quiet, kind of shy, but the still waters run deep and they're dangerous. And they will slice your throat with a, a knife that they give like a, a friend's name. So uh, with that, thanks for listening and I will see you next week. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from the Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a house nuzzle. So you got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left.